Hello, this is Monocle Reads. I'm Georgina Godwin. My guest today is a neuroscientist, lecturer of psychology and a performance coach. Her latest book is Why the F Can't I Change? It takes us on an eye-opening journey through the human brain and the science behind change and what makes it happen. With simple tips and practical tools, it shows us how to develop good habits and how to make them stick. Gabby, welcome to Monocle Reads. Wonderful to be here. This is such a useful book, particularly at this time of the year, because we're all saying, come New Year, well, we're going to change our lives. We're going to be thinner, healthier, stop smoking or whatever. But of course, that's much, much more difficult than it first appears. And one of those reasons is we have three brain classes, as you explain at the beginning of the book. Tell us about our lizard, mammal and human brains. Yes, of course. So so this is... A simplified model of the brain, of course, there's many more parts to the brain, but it can be grouped into three classes based on when they evolve in terms of evolution. Lizard brain contains the brain areas that take care of vital functions such as breathing, heartbeat, digestion, and those areas are always on. It's always active, taking care of our our body. Now, mammal brain are um, newer areas of the brain grouped together in this complex of, of, of a mammal brain region that takes care of things we class as automated functions, such as automated habits, being able to drive your car once you already are proficient with it, takes care of all the daily habits. Now, this region communicates to us in the language of emotions. It doesn't understand the rational thought. If it likes something, it creates pleasant emotions. And if it doesn't or feels threatened by something, it creates emotions such as fear, anxiety, jealousy. Now, the newest addition to the brain or the human brain, also called the neocortex, is the smartest part of your brain. And that's where the rational thoughts emerge. That's where your New Year's resolutions are born. That's where executive functions, such as being able to delay gratification, stop procrastination, and so on, uh, taken care of. Now, these different regions of the brain require different amounts of energy, with the newest addition, neocortex or the human brain, being the most expensive, and it uses enormous amount of energy. Therefore, We can only use those centers efficiently when we are well replenished, have slept well, and have enough nutrients. So that's one first obstacle of changing your habits and taking care of your New Year's resolutions come from there. It's easy once you're straight after holiday and feel in a good mood and are well rested. But once two, three weeks, four weeks in your working life, if you don't have good recovery habits, we naturally slip back into the easy, easy uh, mechanism of mammal brain because it takes much, much less energy. So the old habits are much less energy consuming as opposed to new, new behaviours taking care of the human brain. So the book is in nine chapters and it covers the neurological basis of each aspect of the self and what's needed for us to create behavioural change in each area. So if we could look at habits and changing the self, how is a habit created in the first place and why do we develop them? So to create any behaviours thoughts or emotions, so habits could be behavioral, emotional emotional and thinking habits, we 
create specific neuronal networks. So neur neuronal networks are just a bunch of uh, cells called neurons in the brain that are connected to one another. The more we use that neuronal network, the stronger those connections get and the faster the information travel between them, making this habit more and more automatic. And when we use specific habits, consistently, such, let's say, eating sugary snacks. If we do that all the time, that neuronal network in charge of, I feel stressed, I need sugar, becomes stronger and stronger and stronger over time. Now, when we want to stop the habit and start a different new behavior, we need to develop a new habit and divert that automaticity. So we need, for example, I feel stressed, I need to do breathing exercise. That could be a new new habit, but in order to create that, we need to create a new network and practice it enough times for those connections of the new network become so strong that it eventually becomes an automatic habit. So our emotions must play into this enormously, though. Tell us how that works. So emotions are created by, as I mentioned, the mammal brain regions, in particular, the brain area called amygdala. Amygdala is constantly monitoring environment both outside of you and in terms of your own thinking and is trying to detect any potential dangers and harms. And if it does detect something that could be potentially cause you threat, it creates emotions such as anxiety, fear and stress. And when amygdala is activated, it can temporarily suppress our rational centers of the brain, in particular, prefrontal cortex, which, which is at the very, very front of your brain. That's the, the smartest region of your brain, which is required to have willpower and to delay immediate gratification. So once amygdala, if amygdala is triggered, it can completely change our thinking and our behavior at that moment in time. And only once we calm down from that emotion, we can again make much more rational choices. Now, in Chapter 3, you talk about changing your personality. Why would we want to do that? How do we choose who we're going to be and how do we achieve it? We don't necessarily need to change that. Uh, however, sometimes over years, we accumulate the values from other people. And we get into the point of life when we realize, I don't even know who I am. I'm no longer the person I used to be, but I don't really know who I am. So this chapter is particular for people who want to rediscover who they truly are. So it's sort of a little bit counterintuitive, but in terms of in terms of changing personality, it's more actually what discovering what your true personality is and what's your sense of self. So in that chapter, I talk about figuring out your value hierarchy based on what you naturally do and feel enthused about and also getting rid of all those incorporations of other people's values that we accumulated over the lifetime because of the authority figures, societal norms, and so on. Now, a lot of people will be reading this book because they want to change how they achieve things. They want to be able to do more at work or step up their productivity. And you write a lot on that. Yes, and that's one of the, uh, one of the most common actually, uh, New Year's resolutions is to stop procrastination, to achieve more and to be more productive at work or be better leader at work. And in the chapter of changing productivity, I cover procrastination and also changing other working habits, but procrastination being very important one, because procrastination often develops for different reasons. 
So there is no one solution, no one size fits all there. So I cover in my book, what are the types of procrastinators, how to figure out which type you are and how to solve that. For example, one type of procrastinators are overdoers. So people who take too much on their plate and it's physically impossible to get everything done. And when we are overwhelmed, as I discussed in terms of when amygdala is triggered and from the amount of tasks we need to handle, suddenly it reduces activity in prefrontal cortex and make us do the things that are counterproductive, such as just browse internet for hours at end and escape the world of multiple tasks. So for that type of procrastinators, first step is to really find out what are the key tasks to achieve. Secondly, to see what can be delegated. So putting things in different quadrants based on urgency and importance. And thirdly, using Pomodoro technique or any other techniques of that kind that help you to focus on that specific task at the time and block out temporarily all the other multiple tasks on your to-do list. And that Pomodoro technique, of course, is 15 minute break and then 45 minutes completely focused on your task. It can be actually changed. The times can be changed. It could be as little as 10 minutes focusing on the task and five minute break. Or you can increase it to 45 minutes focusing on the task and 15 minutes break. It depends on the task, but also depends on your individual neurotype. So for some people who uh, resonate more with ADHD neurotype, 45 minutes might be hardly achievable. So even just focusing on a few minutes undivided attention on the task will help to train your brain centers that are required to completely block out all the distractions. And the more we practice that technique, the better we are at single focus. Attention and focusing on things and stopping yourself from multitasking is also a habit on its own. And also the specific brain regions are involved in it. Mm. I'm going to horribly abuse your <laughs> your role as a performance coach now and ask you a very specific question. What about tasks that you just can't get started? I still have not unpacked from a pre-New Year trip. Neither have I done my tax return. <laughs> so with some things, we have to do them, no matter we like it or not. So in terms of the tax return, if it is the reoccurring issue, and if you can delegate, there might be an option to delegate that task. If that cannot be delicate and you definitely need to do it, what I will ask you to do is sit down and take a piece of paper and divide it into two parts. On the left, I want you, you to write all the benefits to you in terms of any area of your life of you completing your tax return efficiently and quickly. So for example, the sooner I get that done, the sooner I can go out and meet up with friends for dinner. I will have more space on my mind. I can focus on other things. I could watch movies, not feeling guilty and so on and so forth. So any benefits you could think of on that side for you, your loved ones, anyone you could think of that are on on your priority list. Now on the left-hand side, I want you to write all the pains of you not doing that task. So what we're trying to do here, we're trying to trigger reward centers of doing the task and the pain centers of not doing the task. So to increase the likelihood of you doing the task, because I assume the reason that you haven't done the task, that you find it somewhat stressful doing that task. And 
that triggers the pain centers of your brain. But we want to reverse it. We want to trigger pain centers if you don't do the task and reward centers if you have completed this task. Very, very useful. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about brain health, because there are things that we can do or consume that actually increases our brain power and and the health of our our most important organ. Yes. Uh, So most importantly, for well-functioning, active brain, we need enough sleep. If there's one thing you could do for your brain, is make sure you get roughly around seven to eight hours of sleep a night. If that's not the case, that could be a very good habit to start with, to increase the amount of sleep at least by 15 minutes, even if you like start, start with the manageable goal. So if you sleep currently, let's say five hours, I don't suggest immediately change everything altogether and go to eight hours. If you, if you can, that's amazing. But most likely it's unfeasible. So try to increase by 15 minutes or half an hour. The second thing our brain needs is exercise. When we exercise, and I don't necessarily talk about going to the gym, just being physically active, walking, doing house chores, gardening, cycling, just being moving, moving your body does enormously good benefit for your brain. As in physical exercise, our brain produces the chemical called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which increases brain plasticity and helps your brain to develop new networks and maintain the existing networks. And the thirdly is making sure that you eat food that's suitable for you. Now, I'm not asking you to do all things from that list, just choose one. And for me personally, I noticed I don't function very well when I consume a lot of carbohydrates, which I absolutely love. In fact, carbohydrates is one of my favorite things. But if I'm constantly on the sugar rush and eating a lot of sugars, I notice I get a lot of migraines, my brain feels foggy, and I can't really have a very good single focus on the tasks. So in the book, I share the tips how to find out what is it that doesn't currently work for you and how to get started with small steps to change one of those habits. Mm. Are bad habits always bad? Well, we call them bad, but actually that's very misleading. The reason we have any of those habits is because it meets some of our needs. And in fact, perhaps in certain period of time, it might have been even the life raft, might have been even the crucial, crucial habit to keep us emotionally safe and sane. So it all depends on the context. So let's imagine if you are going through a messy divorce and develop a habit of eating lots of sugar or binge watching telly. For that period of time, those mechanisms helped a person to escape in the land where that pain didn't exist. So it gave a chance for the brain and body to replenish and have downtime to recover from experiencing emotional distress. Of course, if we carry on doing those uh, habits later on, we develop low productivity and also we might develop health issues. So later on, that's not serving. But often when we have formed habits, they have been tremendously important at some period of time. Of course, if we want to change them in the future, we want to get really, really clear 
what exactly this habit is doing for you in terms of benefit and also drawback. What's the need that you're meeting with this habit? And what could be alternative habit that is more beneficial for you that you could replace this habit with? But here, very importantly, this new habit must meet exactly the same need. So for example, if the need is emotional safety or coming down in the moments of distress, and let's go back to sugar, eating sugar could be one of the ways, drinking alcohol could be other ways, or going for a walk or talking to a friend or doing mindfulness meditation could be all the other different forms of meeting the same need. But you know, as far as the title of your book goes, all of that sounds really easy. But actually, as you write, why the fuck can't I change? Yes, it's not easy. And in fact, in the book this year, I included a bonus chapter on five most common reasons why people quit the New Year's resolutions and revert to old habits. Because we don't live in isolation. Let me share with you my own situation. I've been quite quite good with low-carb eating and avoiding sugar, but my kids were ill for over two weeks and I slept very, very little. Guess what? What did I do in order to push through the day? Eat pastries, toast with jam, and things like that. And for that period of time, it helped me to focus on my priorities, so keeping my kids safe and helping them to recover. Now, once the kids are well, I'm back on eating low carbs from actually yesterday. And very important to realize that we can only change habits when we're in the moment of thriving, not in survival mode. Mm. If you are physically, mentally in the down, or your loved ones are so, or if you have some other urgent, urgent demands on you at the moment, which in fact, last three years, a lot of people have been going through those things, dealing with getting ill, dealing with with changes in job situation and things like that. In those periods, it's very difficult to change habits. So we, we, we have to be forgiving to ourselves in those periods. And once that period is over, to restart. But if if somebody has expectation on themselves once i start the habit i must carry on it no matter what they're doomed to failure Mm. failure creates guilt and failure creates distorted sense of self and that's where the often emotional distress of changing habits happen so if let's imagine you have the thought that you must continue low sugar diet no matter what and then suddenly you're really really ill and the only thing you can eat is toast and butter, and you've gone through that period, you start to despise yourself and have negative emotions towards yourself, which in turn will reduce the chances of you being able to change habits. We, we have to be in relatively good state with ourselves. I'd like to focus on decision-making now because you write about embracing serendipity when you're trying to make up your mind. Tell us more about that. Yes, so we make decisions mostly based on our emotions and we use our rational mind to justify to ourselves why we we made that decision. There are two decision-making systems in the brain. System one, emotional, impulsive, gut-feeling-based system, where suddenly when we're exposed to a decision, it just something we can say just feels right or it doesn't quite feel right. 
The second system is rational, where we weigh pros and cons. But sometimes just following gut feeling leads us to the old harmful situations or doing only rationally pros and cons based lists can keep us stuck because in that situation, we sometimes just things we lack emotional inputs. So what we need to do, we need to learn to incorporate those two systems and incorporate emotional input to help us go from indecision to decision. And finally, Gabir, is is New Year the best time to start with new habits? Can a fresh start at any time of the year provide benefits? In fact, I do recommend rather having a yearly plan. You can start it at any point, but have a long-term vision. What is it that you're trying to achieve? And start with one habit at a time. Once that new action becomes your, your automated habit, go on to the next one. But if you plan it out long term, then you can actually create much bigger change and much more meaningful change. Because sometimes we create a new year's resolutions based on impulsive instincts, such as we see somebody really slim and beautiful, then in our mind, we are like, I must get really slim and and look like that person. And suddenly our New Year's resolution is going to the gym five times a day. But whether that's important and meaningful to you is a big question mark. But if you create five-year vision, 10-year vision, and ask yourself, what's one habit this month that would take me closer to that and work on that? And start at any point. It doesn't matter, January, February, March, no matter what. You would be getting closer to that dream. But also ask yourself this question. Is it a good time for me? Am I in the moment of thriving or survival? If the answer is survival, then instead of New New Year's resolution, ask yourself, what would help me to sail through this survival period? Because in those periods, it's not a good time to set New Year's resolutions. They would just make us more more stressed. Mm. Gabia, thank you so much. It's so interesting. I am now off to do my tax return. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Why the F Can't I Change by Gavia Tolakita is published by Thread and it's out now. You've been listening to Monocle Reads, thanks to the producer Nora Hull. And you can download this show and previous episodes from our website, Spotify or Apple Podcasts. I'm Georgina Godwin. Thank you for listening. <laughs>